For over 28 years, Aflac has been a champion, donating over $168 million to fight pediatric cancer and blood disorders, including sickle cell disease. This December, Aflac proudly joins 97.1 Wash FM and Children's National Hospital for the annual Wash for Kids Radiothon. Mark your calendars for December 14th and 15th for a heartwarming 14-hour live broadcast where you can join Aflac in their efforts to support the miracle work happening at Children's National. Save the date, tune in, and be a part of something extraordinary with Aflac. Hi there, I'm Robert Lankin, and you're listening to The The Geek Show. Oh, yes. Hello, and welcome to The Geek Show. I'm Graham, and this week I've been joined by Rob. Hello. Hello there. This is a nice new mix we haven't been on together. Yeah, it's been, uh, I think there was a literary loitering that we did together a while ago. But... Yeah, but literary loitering is its own kind of weird gated community where bad things happen. <laughs> Horrible people. <laughs> <laughs> Where bad sex rewards happen to bad people. I, I'm not going there. Yes, uh, literally loitering for listeners who don't know is our Arts and Books podcast and it's a trip. Yeah, I think I describe it as cultural anarchy. That would, that's a very good one. Yeah, I'll co-sign that. Um, so, yeah, uh, how are you, Graham? Uh, I'm fine, a bit sneezy, I must admit. I mistakenly assumed that as a northerner, I would be immune to colds, but it is not the case. So, if you're sneezy, does that mean I can be grumpy or doc? Yeah, I mean, congratulations for avoiding dopey. No, that was me this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the daily life of Rob is basically the stages of the seven dwarves. Um, so anyway, right, we've got news as always yes. in, in uh, here on the Gate Show. We're starting off with Facebook, which is always a good place to start. Now, Facebook have some strange security systems in place, right, mm. to try and protect people on Facebook. But this one strikes a lot of people as even weirder than normal for Facebook. <laughs> yes. Right now, there was there is this thing called capture, right. <laughs> Where yeah. you have to basically do, uh, you know, answer certain questions, or you know, write down what you see in the picture, or choose particular images that match a particular word, things like yeah. that. Yeah, and it's yeah. there to protect your privacy. It's there to stop bots and stop people, you know, spamming stuff and everything like that. Now, hmm. Facebook have decided they want to implement their own version of capture, and this is the thing that kind of puzzles people. Uh, right. At one point, they were asking people to upload kind of, you know, nude photos of themselves. Yes, I read that one. That was, uh, are they from Earth? Not sure. But now it gets that little bit more surreal, a bit more normal, but also more surreal at the same time. Because now Facebook wants to, you to prove your identity by uploading a selfie. That's a minor improvement, I guess. Yeah, but I mean, doesn't everybody do duck face in selfies? I suppose, yes. <laughs> at, w- at which point, could you not then feasibly just put, you know, if you're an old man who looks a bit like Santa Claus, could you not then feasibly just put a picture of Scrooge McDuck? <laughs> what if it assumes that everyone actually has those stupid animal noses that people add to their Snapchat pictures? Oh god! Oh god! Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's a, that's a, that's going to be strange. And the worst thing is, 
Facebook is apparently trying to monitor this themselves. They're trying to police this themselves, and they've got the. But the Facebook are notorious for being really bad at responding to people, at yeah. sorting things out. I mean, uh, there are people who this has happened to because apparently this has been in circulation since April, and it, it's only when you do certain things that you'll be asked to upload a selfie, right? Yeah. And the people who have been asked have. Some of them have been locked out of their Facebook account for like a fortnight. And even though they've spoken to Facebook repeatedly, Facebook do their usual thing of la 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 la. <laughs> I cannot hear anybody. There is nobody talking to me. Yes. Facebook's coming under a lot of fire for this. <laughs> I, I'm still, to be honest, uh, I would be more outraged if I still wasn't stuck on the ban revenge porn by sending us your new side here. Which I think might be objectively the worst idea that anyone's ever had. Oh, there are some better ones than that. Oh. I mean, uh, have you not heard? Google is offering people the worst job in the world. Is it? Yes. Do you want to know what the worst job in the world is? Hit me. Google wants to give 10,000 people the ability to patrol YouTube comments. Dear Lord, Dante's Inferno hath not more horrors than this. <laughs> you know, 10,000 people who are going to watch like horrible YouTube video content day in, day out, and basically <laughs> go troll through the comments for each video. Do you remember when, in like the pre-social media age, when it was all about forums and chat rooms? Yeah. Do you remember people used to have those quaint old things called uh, moderators? Yeah, I also remember the. I also think it's ironic that you can moderate Facebook comments yourself because they're on your channel. Yeah, <laughs> and if you're allowing all sorts of comments to go onto your channel then, you know? Yeah, I suppose it's different in YouTube because most video creators do not want to roll up their arms and plunge into the sewer that is the YouTube comment section. But the thing is, you don't need to. If you hold all your comments for review, you can just basically go, right, okay, these ones are fine, these ones, and you just, it's all checkboxes. Yeah, but you still have to read the nonsense. Yeah, but it filters most of it already. Yeah, fair point. It filters most of it already, so then you can just put all the all the nice, healthy comments onto your YouTube channel, you know, onto your video. Then you got a nice comment section where nobody is suddenly, you know, uh, threatening to castrate somebody else, even though yes. that person may just be a wooden doll. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, no, a straw man. That's the word, isn't it? I'm just excited that having you know, proper expert moderators in uh, YouTube comments might mean that we might finally get an, an end to the argument on whether the Holocaust happened. Everyone seems very worked up about that in YouTube comments. Yeah, but you there stumbled on the first problem. Oh? What does an expert comment moderator look like? What is their training? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, before you said what is their training, I was trying to imagine what they actually look like, and I'm imagining sort of grey skin, claw marks down their face, panicky gibbering, basically Renfield in Dracula. <laughs> actually, that's a good one. 
Um, yeah, I, I'm just curious about, you know, is there a degree in, in YouTube comment moderation? Because if not, there should be. Yeah, it's, it, it's something that probably takes some expertise, even if I'm not yet ready to think about what it might be. I think that expertise might come in the form of common sense. Yes, an awareness that the world is around. Oh, don't, because there are still flat earthers out there. That's why I said it. You can't joke about any stupid belief in 2017. All of the old safe targets are gone. There never were any safe targets, but you just learned to live with it and not care who you insult. Yeah, I just didn't... Well, I didn't have to live with the knowledge that there were people willing to watch, like, three-hour seminars on YouTube about why the Earth was flat. That was a happy innocence. (laughs) Do you know what else was a happy innocence? Go on. Star Trek. Yes, a good, optimistic, purely 1960s vision of the future. Yes, but do you know how it? Do you know Star Trek is about to lose its innocence? Even though J.J. Oh. Abrams gave it all sorts of lens flare, right? Yes. Even though he gave it all sorts of lens flare, it was still quite innocent. It had its charm, yeah. Yeah, uh, the movies did, and the other movies did. Next Generation did, uh, you know, uh, Deep Space Nine did. Voyager was naive as all sorts. Yes. <laughs> I don't know how they thought that was going to be a good series, but, you know, <laughs> you live and learn. <laughs> Unfortunately, well, you live and learn unless your name is Stargate Universe. Um, I but, think you, you hit a point of nerdiness where I can't follow you there. Stargate Universe. Stargate Never Universe. Was, Stargate Universe was basically so we have these rings that allow us to travel instantaneously from one planet to another, but we're going to ignore all those rings that allow us to travel from one planet to another. We're going to set all the action on a spaceship that is shooting off into the wild blue yonder out of control in a kind of Star Trek Voyager style thing. See. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Star Trek has always had this kind of naivety, this innocence about it, but it's about to lose it all if the rumours are true. Oh. Because somebody is about to get involved in Star Trek and uh, <laughs> it could result in copious use of expletives for no justifiable reason. It gotcha, could, gotcha. Okay, I'm thinking. Yeah, it could, uh, you know, this person's involvement may may result in, you know, some Starfleet Admiral chastising Kirk or Picard or whoever for, you know, ultra-violent behaviour, you know? You might even end up with, I don't know, Samuel Jackson as a grumpy <laughs> Klingon. <laughs> I'm sold already. You know, uh, maybe Steve Buscemi would be an alien of some sort. Yeah. Um... You know, uh, there might be all sorts of violence that needs to be torn, torn down afterwards. I there think may... I'm gradually figuring out who you're talking you about. Know, there may be... What the lo- hell? Sorry? I think I'm gradually figuring out who you're talking about, and what the hell? Who do you think I'm talking about? Quentin Tarantino. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I was going to go with long conversations. There might even be long conversations about nothing related to the episode or the subject at hand whatsoever. Yeah, we, we might discover, you know, what the Klingon for the N-word is. <laughs> oh, it'd be hilarious if it was uh, that one that they all keep saying was uh, Kapla. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a board game from the 70s. No, that's Kaplunk. <laughs> <laughs> Although it would be hilarious. 
Klingons like Kaplunk. Because uh, Kapla is like, I suppose, uh, I don't know what it means, but I'm assuming it's something to do with, you know, uh, you know fantastic or hello or <laughs> it's yes. something like it. It's, it's some kind of combination of fantastic and hello at the same time. I'm assuming I don't speak Klingon. <laughs> so <laughs> if you're if you're listening and you do speak Klingon and you know what Kapla means, then let us know. Cause <laughs> Especially if you can confirm that it's the boss game. <laughs> yes. So yeah, Tarantino getting involved with uh, Star Trek, and to, this is Tarantino back in 2015. He already expressed his admiration for the original series. He did yeah. an interview with the Nerdist, and he said, "I'm definitely a fan of the original series, and definitely a fan of William Shatner. I actually think a film could be cool." Sorry, that was my attempt at doing Shatner. <laughs> I was going to say it's it's funny how you slip into his cadences once you read out his. <laughs> it's a, it's like Beetlejuice, isn't it? Yeah, completely. <laughs> you say Shatner's name too many times, and he starts taking over because the old episodes are fantastic. <laughs> the only thing that right. limited them was their sixties budget. An eight-day shooting schedule. He, you know, City on the Edge of Forever is the one that everybody talks about making a movie of. But you know, he's wanted to get involved uh, for a while, and he may be getting involved now. Um, I think Abrams might have opened the door for him. Yeah. Wow. Um, um, in fact, that's... in fact, uh, it might actually already be com- confirmed that he's involved uh, because he pitched an idea to JJ Abrams. Right. So yeah. That, that that would be pretty incredible. I don't think of Tarantino as one of history's great optimists. No. But playing in the Star Trek universe, you kind of got to be, right? Yeah, you kind of got to be. So, I don't know. Um, it'd be interesting to see. I mean, there's going to be a lot more uh, shootouts. I know that much. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. Oh. Can you imagine if you did the whole Reservoir Dogs walking down the thing scene, but with uh, with security get- red shirt security guards? You know what they call a quarter pounder on Vulcan? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't speak Vulcan. They call it a quarter pounder because that is the most logical name. No, no, they wouldn't call it the quarter pounder. They would call it the uh, the however many grams because the metric system is more logical than the imperial system. Yes, that's very true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. Anyway, not the, anyway, anyway. Not the first serious author to enter the Star Trek universe. Well, the first one was uh, directed by Robert Wise. Yeah. The director of The Baby Earth Stood Still and, rather incongruously, Sound of Music. See, those two don't actually go together in any way. <laughs> I wonder if Star Trek fans in the 70s were going, Robert Wise is directing it? Is it all going to be like nuns singing on hills? The hills are alive with the sound of Vulcans. (laughs) (laughs) How do you solve a problem like Q? I know Q haven't been introduced at that point. Don't write in. I just like Q. High on the hills was a lonely cling on (laughs) your... Oh, oh, there's so much mileage here. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised, to be honest, that Wise didn't go down that route himself. <laughs> oh, oh, there's so much mileage. Oh, right. Okay, moving on, moving on before I... Quickly. <laughs> right, this is one of the most... Do you know how people talk about irony, right? Yeah. And you just think, well, that's not quite ironic, you know? It's hilarious, but not quite ironic. 
This, I think, is both hilarious and quite ironic. Right. <laughs> a Utah man reportedly spent 30 years building a series of underground bunkers that he hoped would outlive the apocalypse. <laughs> right? Yes. And it was a system comprised of four dugouts and cabins built of concrete and corrugated metal and a few other spots where he stashed his provisions and arsenal of guns and ammunition, usually in trash bins and barrels. Yep. Okay. All the shelters were illegally built across a two-mile radius of uh, on state and federal property outside of Brian Head, which apparently is a place and not a person, in Utah. <laughs> so far, so America. Right. Unfortunately for this Utah man, who is as yet unnamed while investigations continue, two of his apocalypse bunkers, his uh, his defense against the end of the world, two of his shelters burned down in a wildfire. Round <laughs> <laughs> uh, of applause. Uh, now you see why I say it's hilarious and ironic. Yes. Um, so, yeah... Uh, this was apparently the wildfire was back in June, but they've only just this is the details of this have only just come to light because the investigation yeah. has been ongoing. Um, the June wildfire that ravaged the area caused forty million dollars worth of damage, um, and <laughs> it destroyed thirteen on the grid homes. Firefighters discovered one of the bunkers and cabins after hearing about five minutes of popping sounds, according to the release from the Iron County Sheriff's Office. What's he made this thing out of popcorn? No, the popping sounds was uh, was the sound of explosive powder and bullets going off in the wildfire. (laughs) (laughs) They also found dozens of inactive novelty grenades that had been modified. I don't want to ask, to be honest. Yeah, the the guy who built the bunker apparently planned to turn the grenades into usable weapons filled with explosive powder. Until the wildfire happened. See, when you have these people who are preparing for an apocalypse, they're all sort of thinking of a Mad Max kind of apocalypse, aren't they? They're not going for a fall of the Roman Empire apocalypse where, yeah, things change, borders get redrawn, it's a bit hairy for a while. Maybe you end up with some mad woman from the DUP calling the shops in your country for a bit. But ultimately, you know, there's no violence I mean, or a uh, rain of fire apocalypse where it's just a bloody great big flying lizard, you know, destroying everything. (laughs) Yeah, that's what you need the modified grenades for. They're going to be kind of useless against, say, climate change, aren't they? Oh, what about children and men? (laughs) How useful is a grenade going to be in that scenario? Don't even joke about children and men because every passing year makes it more true. Eating all these stupid think pieces about how millennials aren't having as many children before. And even though logically I know it's because millennials don't actually have any money, part of me is thinking it's because it's children of men, it's happening. (laughs) I personally blame the too tight genes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You're not a eugenicist, Rob. You can't blame everything on people's genes. Well, have you not seen what they're doing with DNA? They're adding more letters. It's going to end up with... (laughs) What's it now? DNA BTQ+. No, DNA is made... uh, Basically, DNA and RNA. Um, With DNA, uh, the way it works is that it breaks down into four particular letters, as they call them. C-A-T-G, which is where the word... You know, Gattaca, the film. That's where that gets its name from. 
G-A-T-C, you know, those four letters. But when it switches to RNA, the T turns into a U, but now they've added two more letters to DNA. I'm like, uh, so they're basically trying to make a word now? <laughs> Is this some weird genetic scrabble going on? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when it's mostly one-point letters, they're not going to get far. Oh, just wait until they get the Z or the Q. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so anyway, uh, final news story. And this one is the Jesus story I promised you, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm always up for a good Jesus story. Uh, this involves the Madrid-based Da Vinci Restauro team, which is kind of a restoration team. And they have been working on preserving an 18th century wooden statue of Jesus. And this statue was, uh, let's see, this statue is called Cristo de la Miserere, and the wooden statue of Jesus belongs to the Church of Santa Aguera in Sofio de la Ribera in Spain. Okay. Now, like many statues of the time, like many sculptures of the time, it was hollow, right? Yeah. Um, and one of the things that was unusual was that they found some documents that were written by hand hidden inside a portion of the statue, a hidden compartment <laughs> in the statue, a kind of time capsule in the statue, right? Right. And these... Um, these were basically uh, documents that uh, were honouring the memory of the sculptor Manuel Bal, and uh, they were written by one of the uh, priests at the church at that time uh-huh. during the reign of uh, Charles the Se- Charles the Third. Um, or you know, the uh, it lists various things and uh, details of things that were happening at the time. It was written in like seventeen seventy seven or something like that. Okay, now. Which part of the statue of Jesus do you think this time capsule was located? Oh, they didn't put it up as Aris, did they? Close enough. (laughs) Basically, a section of his posterior was removable. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose they couldn't have put it in his side, because as the New Testament proves, he invites anyone to stick their fingers up there. It's basically his party trick. Yeah, but this is like centre section of his posterior. <laughs> That's why I said close enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, the headline for this story yeah. reads, Secret time capsule found inside, inside Jesus' bomb. <laughs> I always knew the secrets were up there. <laughs> Well, at least now we know the light did shine out of it. I'm laughing, but I can hear your Dan Brown scribbling all of this down. Uh, did, I ju- did I just commit blasphemy there? <laughs> we all did. I think it's the sculptor's fault, really, isn't it? I mean, oh, I mean why, would you, why would you choose that section? Is it just a case of... Where, where will people not look? Well, nobody's going to fondle Jesus's bum. Yeah, but it depends on how much you love Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going any further than that. <laughs> on that note, we are definitely taking a break. <laughs> uh, it, it would be wise, yes. We'll be back in a moment. Hi, here at the Geek Show, we're a voluntary organisation, so we really appreciate some money from our lovely listeners. 
For over 28 years, Aflac has been a champion, donating over $168 million to fight pediatric cancer and blood disorders, including sickle cell disease. This December, Aflac proudly joins 97.1 Wash FM and Children's National Hospital for the annual Wash for Kids Radiothon. Mark your calendars for December 14th and 15th for a heartwarming 14-hour live broadcast where you can join Aflac in their efforts to support the miracle work happening at Children's National. Save the date, tune in, and be a part of something extraordinary with Aflac. And we don't just expect to take your money for free. Why not buy some of our lovely things in the geek shop? We have clothes and caps, which are also clothes, but they're different clothes to shirts, which is another item of clothes that we sell. Buy them, buy them all now. This is Lizzie Boyle and Connor Boyle of Disconnected Press, and you're listening to The Geek Show. The world of comics and manga are much, much more complex than I'll ever know. So tune in to Four Panel on The Geek Show Podcast Network to make that whole world a little less intimidating. So welcome back. We've talked about the news and now we've got our main discussion point of the show. Yes, which is the rise of web fiction, web novels and other kind of writing on the internet. Now, okay. normally in this, because we both, we both move in kind of uh, separate circles when it comes to our main interests, hmm. but we do kind of meet in the middle when it comes to books. Yeah. Right. And... We've both seen this, but from different sides. I've seen the rise of kind of the Eastern web novel, Eastern web fiction, that sort of thing. And you've seen the rise of trashy, cheesy web fiction in the form of Fifty Shades of Grey and Twilight and various things like that. Was Twilight web fiction to start off with? I think it was, wasn't it? I, I'm not entirely sure. Fifty Shades definitely was. Um, and it still chafes me slightly that uh, E.L. Grey did not release it under her web fiction nom de guerre, which was Snow Queen's Ice Dragon. Snow Queen's Ice Dragon? Is that the, yep. I thought that was a Yu-Gi-Oh card. Sorry. I thought that was a, <laughs> I thought that was a Yu-Gi-Oh card. <laughs> no, I honestly thought it was. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> no, maybe it is. Maybe E.L. E.L. Westy is a big uh, Yu-Gi-Oh fan. I don't know. Uh, I, I found it very, very strange because we're seeing this kind of cyclic thing happening over in the East, and I was wondering if that same thing was happening in Western uh, media as well. Because uh, what's happening with Eastern web novels is that they've reached this kind of critical mass point. You have hmm. loads of these web novels. Uh, Japanese, uh, this is mainly among anime fans, I suppose, but anime fans are not notorious readers, right? Hmm. Notor- they are notorious for not reading anything more than YouTube comments, so maybe <laughs> they should go work for Google. <laughs> maybe that's what's put them off reading. Yeah, maybe that is what's put them off reading, but uh, the thing that puzzles me a little bit, uh, the thing that I found interesting, sorry, um, was, the, was the fact that you have these adaptations being made of web fiction and web novels. And those yeah. are becoming, they're being adapted for manga or being straight adapted to uh, anime. And those are becoming more and more popular. And as they become more popular, people who are, people are actually approaching web fiction on the back of the popularity of those to read more about that particular thing. Mm. And now it's come to the point where you can have like a 12 episode series of anime and it is nothing more than an advertisement for the web novel or for the light novel publication. Right. Because what they do now also, they'll take the web novel, they'll readapt it by the same author. They'll get the author to do like a rewrite on it and right. publish it as a publish it as a novel. 
rather than publishing it on the internet. I've said this before on literary loitering, but my favourite movie novelisation of all time is one I saw a couple of years back, the novelisation of Darren Aronofsky's film Noah, which I think already exists in a book. It might. It might just do. It might just exist under uh, under the name of, uh, was it Exodus, was it? Yeah, uh, it, it, it's slightly before you get to the bit that tells you where to look on the statue for the time capsule. It's in there. <laughs> that still puzzles me. I mean, when they were looking at the statue, of, uh, you know, they probably had the statue of Jesus in front of them going, right, so how can we hold it? Maybe his head. No, we can't do that. That would be blasphemous. Maybe his up. No, that's blasphemous. <laughs> <laughs> Is that how they figured out where to put this? Just... Levels of blasphemy. Can we remove the arm? No. If so, they have really missed the mark. So anyway, this whole thing about web novels and web fiction, let's get back to that. Uh, We've mentioned Fifty Shades of Grey, which is probably one of the more famous ones um, in terms of web fiction. Uh, Cassandra Clare, the woman who wrote, you know, the Mortal Instruments series, that young adult series. Yeah, was that web fiction as well? I don't know if that series was web fiction, but she definitely started off as a Harry Potter fanfic writer. Ah, right. This is the thing that uh, that uh, I meant, though. There's a lot more authors who are getting well-known through publishing stuff online yeah. and then, you know, making their mark online and then somehow getting careers out of it. Um, but yeah. my, worry, my worry with that is that uh, there's no real kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, filter. Well, yeah, I mean, especially with all those talented wordsmiths being driven off YouTube, maybe, you know, this will be their new outlet. I, I cannot find an audience in YouTube comments anymore for my 2,000-word screed on how the Jews invented fluoride. Just have to publish it as a novel instead. Oh, that that that's that's not a uh, that's that's not a good uh, uh, no. That's a dystopia, isn't it? Forget children of men. That's what we're staring down the barrel of now. Yeah. Oh, that's a horrible thought, Graham. I hate you so much for putting that in my head. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's true. I mean, it strikes me listening from what you're saying that in Japan they've gone about integrating web fiction into traditional publishing in what you might say is a very Japanese way, which is to be less concerned with genre boundaries, less concerned with the kind of snobbery that exists between new and old media, and just told a story wherever it makes sense to tell that story. Whereas in the West, it seems like this is overwhelmingly happening in areas like teenage fiction or erotic fiction, where there's less of a sense of, you know, the barbarians at the gate. There's less of a sense of these things as having to be very pure and needing to keep all these bad newfangled things out. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I was looking around for kind of a top 10 uh, web fiction that I should check out if I'm interested in reading web fiction. Found one on uh, Den of Geek, right? Yeah. Which, uh, this is apparently the best serial fiction you should be reading. Now, I don't know when this article this article is from. I couldn't honestly tell you because there's no date on it. Is that? Oh, uh, June 2017, this is from. Stop it with that stupid advert, Den of Geek. <laughs> Just because I mouse <laughs> over it does not mean play. Mouse over does not mean play, Den of Geek. 
<laughs> so anyway, um, going to this uh, geek actually, which uh, launched in 2017 from Serial Box, is filling a hole in the the writer's fiction reading life. Focuses on powerful, healthy female friendships. Okay, fine. Um, remade, which is the first season of an intense young adult post-apocalyptic serial, which recently wrapped up its first season, I should say. Uh, 23 teenagers, all of whom died in the same minute, become the last hope for humanity when they awaken in a brand new world. Here, there are robots that hunt humans, a dangerous jungle, and the ruins of an ancient civilization. For the teens, who might be the last people on the planet to survive, they have to learn to work together. You see... That's what I'm talking about in post-apocalyptic terms. Not about hiding with a load of modified grenades. It needs a bit of cooperation. Yeah, cooperation. And how much of that cooperation is going to come in the form of young adult romance at the end <laughs> of the world? I think you're going to have to repopulate the place somehow. If this is what it takes to get millennials having sex again, then so be it. No. <laughs> <laughs> you horrible man. <laughs> <laughs> you horrible, horrible man. Anyway, anyway, anyway. anyway. Uh, there are others on this list, which I shall uh, continue. Uh, Tensorate. Apparently, Tor.com has been dominating the novella market and releasing several, and has apparently released several critically celebrated shortish stories, predominantly in an ebook format, which, again, oh. is, a, is a great platform for web fiction because these people can, you know, who are, who you're, if you're a web fiction author, you can basically write it and publish it as an ebook, right? You know, because self-publishing is a thing now as well, isn't it? Yeah, completely. Yeah, you know, and there's all sorts of platforms that cater to that, so it's just opened the door for uh, a lot of it. Um, but Tensorate is a standalone novella, and it's a technology versus tradition tale of two twin siblings, Makoya and Akeha, uh, Akeha, sorry, uh, drawn to opposite sides of a rebellion. The two children of the Protectorate. Uh, were sold into slavery as children. Makoya can sense the future, while Akeha can see the mechanics of manipulation among the adults who govern their world. Uh, Akeha views the machinist battles against uh, against his mother's rule as a way to free the protectorate from its rot. Uh, Makoya becomes embroiled in a hunt for the deadly Naga, but discovers a co- that conspiracy lies beneath magic. Hmm. See? And the author for that is... Uh, is J, I think it's JY Yang or Jai Yang. So, yeah. 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 Then there's uh, The Witch Who Came In from the Cold. I'm not going to bother describing what that is. Uh, Book Burners. Again, <laughs> I'm not going to bother describing what that is. If you're wondering what these are, Google them. Tremontaine, which uh, has an interesting image, but I'm not going to describe what that is either. Uh, the Innkeeper Chronicles. Are you by... not going to describe what that is by any chance? Nope. No, I'm not. Um, the the Starkiller Cycle, because it has such a fantastic name, such a fantastic science fiction name that uh, yes, you know uh, that I must read it. Yeah, you know, I I must read it. I must read it. It's <laughs> uh, the Tale of Shikanoko, which uh, okay, fine. Uh, but I, I'm always suspicious when. Uh, when you have somebody going uh, writing stuff called like uh, you know I'm saying the tale of Sh- uh, tale of Shikanoko, which apparently is told yeah. over the course of four novellas, um, and it's set in mythical medieval Japan, but the author is called Leon Hearn. Yeah, you know, 
I'm always suspicious of that. Yeah, I'm not it saying might that, not be exactly authentic. Well, it's not that they're not exactly authentic. I'm not saying that Western authors can't write uh, Eastern fiction. Some of them have been fantastic at it, you know? Yeah. But I also know that it's more common to not be fantastic at it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's me phrasing it uh, mildly. <laughs> I've seen your attempts at manga. You know what you did wrong. <laughs> And you know who you are, who I'm saying that to. Was it him? Was it, uh, what's his name? Jiminy Cricket from Vampire Weekend. No, it wasn't, thankfully. There is, however, also in this list on Den of Geek, a courtly drama full of machinations, intrigue and fantastic clothing called Whitehall. Whitehall? Yeah. A, uh, a Downton Abbey-esque story written by Julian Fellows called Belgravia. God, that sounds awful. <laughs> Go on. A, a series by, uh, is it Sheenan Maguire or Sheenan Maguire? Uh, that takes, uh, you know, that takes fairy tale characters and inserts them into a noir style modern world because that wasn't already done in fables called Indexing and its sequel, Indexing Reflections. Okay. The Daring Adventures of Captain Lucy Smallcart. <laughs> uh, Queendom. Feast of the Saints, which is part four. And there, there's some interesting stuff there. I, I, I use the term interesting very loosely. Yeah. I'm not saying that these are bad. I've not read them, so I can't really comment. It's just the ones that I have read have been bad. You know, And I read a lot of web fiction, and most of it, I have to say, the stuff that I read from the East anyway, is, yeah. is, is twaddle. It's all kind of... You'll have what I found with the East, and I don't know whether this is true with the West, but uh, I think it is given the uh, given all of the vampire dark fantasy stuff that came out after Twilight, and then yeah. all of the erotica that came out after Fifty Shades. Yes, you know, um, I think that, I think it doesn't matter where you are in the world, the trends stay the same. Because over in the East, what happens is one thing will basically popularize a particular genre or subgenre, right? Yeah. And then that will quickly get forgotten in favor of all the new shiny stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's basically, I think, what happened with... Uh, I don't think it happened as much in the West. I think that Fifty Shades and Twilight popularized it, but stayed in the public eye because it got adapted uh, yeah. as movies. So they stayed in the public eye a lot longer. So it's sort of... I mean, it's like anything else, really, isn't it? It's a sort of fad-ridden and as far from a meritocracy as any other form of storytelling or publishing. Yeah, um, I don't know. Uh, see, I'm a language junkie. You know, I like language to make sense. Yeah. I think that's the purpose of it, making sense. It's supposed to help you make sense, you know? It helps. But uh, I, I, I mainly become concerned when I see, uh, you know, web fiction that hasn't really been, to use the YouTube comment thing again, moderated in any way. Yes. So, uh, and then that suddenly becomes, you know, suddenly gains a massive number of followers and loads of people read it. But what they're reading is kind of an old, unfiltered thought process. And the writer may not have had time to go back and revise things and revise things and do that process of refinement. Yeah. Um, and that's that's what I worry about. And then you have the other side of the coin where, you know, uh, you have something like Fifty Shades of Grey, which the French basically said, why do we care? Yes, they were so French about that. Well, they had the Marquis de Sade, so they honestly yeah. didn't. They basically invented the. 
you know, and again, we, the Marquis de Sade popularized it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I, I don't, I don't know. It, it just seems like web novels, web fiction is the future. Yeah. We'll leave you for this week. Uh, we'll be back, uh, for our final episode of the year, uh, next week. And, uh, all of our shows are available on iTunes and audio boom. And you can subscribe to us through those. It will keep you up to date with everything on the network. We have a Patreon, which is available on our website, uh, or go to Patreon and uh, look for The Geek Show and show your spot if you're a regular listener. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Facebook or Twitter or email us studio at thegeekshow.co.uk. Uh, until next time, I've been Rob. And I've been Gray. And we'll see you all later. For over 28 years, Aflac has been a champion, donating over $168 million to fight pediatric cancer and blood disorders, including sickle cell disease. This December, Aflac proudly joins 97.1 Wash FM and Children's National Hospital for the annual Wash for Kids Radiothon. Mark your calendars for December 14th and 15th for a heartwarming 14-hour live broadcast where you can join Aflac in their efforts to support the miracle work happening at Children's National. Save the date, tune in, and be a part of something extraordinary with Aflac.